program i am in one location dennis you are in another location you are in one country i am in another uh bonjour welcome from montreal yes bonjour de montreal mes amis uh john it's great to be in this city obviously the kings are playing here this evening on thursday but john when you when you go down to the barn i'm at the Sheridan center which is about three blocks away from from bell center when you go to have lunch and you sit at the restaurant and bar and there's five televisions and they all have a rerun of Pittsburgh, Tampa, I'm in the right city, without question. I love this place. It's 17 degrees. It snowed the other day. Who cares? Ready for some hockey here. It's just a wonderful city. I'm glad to be here. Well, I care, Dennis, because as we're texting uh, over the past couple of days, trying to set up what day and what time we're going to be doing this, <laughs> I was getting the traffic and weather reports from you of, uh, hey, Mayor, just so you know, it's about five degrees potentially with snow in I Montreal. Know. So I may up. be delayed uh, leaving from the airport and getting checked into the hotel. So. Actually, John, there, there was a travel story. So you know how sometimes you're on the smaller flights from Boston to Montreal. I was in Boston for, and we'll talk about Dustin Brown's induction in the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. When you're on smaller flights, sometimes they have the weight distribution issues, right? So yes. they, at, at the gate, they say, we need 20 bags. So they check 20 bags, and then they come on and say, okay, we need 15 more bags. We're all boarded. We need 15 <laughs> more bags to be checked to put down below in the cargo, and nobody's getting up. I'm like, and I checked my bag. I'm like, can some of you knuckleheads and donkeys like take your bag <laughs> off? You know, it's not that hard. It's going to get checked in. And it's fine. So we were delayed 15 or 20 minutes, but uh, got here safe and sound and ready for it. But uh, that, that was the, if that's my worst travel story of 2023, John, then I've had a really good year. Yes, absolutely. And you did just make uh, reference to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Congratulations to Dustin Brown. Obviously, he's been immortalized with a gigantic statue outside of the arena here in Los Angeles. But going into the Hockey Hall of Fame is fantastic. And coming up in the second period, we're going to have audio from Dustin Brown. He had media availability there in Boston, and you also had an opportunity to go one-on-one with him for a bit. So all of that audio, we'll hear from Dustin Brown. I guess this is probably as close as we're ever going to get to having Dustin Brown on Kings of the Podcast. Uh, he has, He's quite the recluse, uh, Dennis. John, we've been working together too long on this podcast. You read my mind because I did ask him why he hasn't come on the podcast, and I'll I'll let you hear it once it it, it gets okay. published. But I did okay. absolutely one hundred percent ask that question, and then I said, "Oh well, that, that question's for the mayor, not for me." You know, I'm, I'm good anyway. So I think that 
both of us have asked him and both of us have asked Nicole. Uh, she is much more up for the idea than he is. Matter of fact, Nicole would love to come on the program. <laughs> so maybe and we could do a package deal. We could. And it's funny, John, because I text Dustin every so often. You know, when I was in uh, uh, when I was in Edmonton for the uh, Heritage Classic and there was a the oil rig was in the lobby of the uh, of the JW Marriott. I said, hey, you missed this? No response. Never get a response. I'm like, you never respond to me. And he showed me the text that he got the picture, but just doesn't respond. And Nicole says, he doesn't respond to anyone. So you're not being singled out. So it's that's uh, that's Dustin Brown for you in a, in a nutshell. Classic 23. Uh, yeah. DB, speaking yeah. of DB, uh, speaking mm-hmm. of Dustin Brown, you know, I was thinking about numerology in the yeah. hopes that perhaps he actually did come on the program. <laughs> And you know how much I love the numerology. I'm going to give you the number 23 here in just a quick second, and we can advance the program. But there's a bummer connected to the numerology, and it's this, Dennis. 22 players in L.A. Kings history have worn number 23. No one's ever (laughs) going to wear it again. It's really too bad, though, that Brownie wasn't number the 23rd player because now it's it's stuck on 22. It'll never hit that, but that's fine. Uh, Dustin Brown, of course, the last player to ever wear 23. And we have had a number 23 on the program. So we have done 23 numerology once before. Do you happen to remember who that 23 was? No, don't remember. It was it was the guy who wore 23 immediately preceding Dustin Brown. And that would have been Craig Johnson. He wore 23 in L.A. So. Uh, let's just go through this real quick. Eddie Shack, uh, kind of a famous hockey name. He wore it for the LA Kings back in the 70, 71 season. There were several other players that wore it, including Nick Beverly, who, uh, he also had some ties to the LA Kings later in life. Randy Holt, uh, Barry Gibbs. I do not believe that that was the guy, uh, of the Gibbs brothers, right? That was Barry Gibbs. I think it was a singular, that's no S on the end. Man, those guys had some crazy beards, though. I've seen pictures. That was before my time. Uh, Doug Smith uh, wore it as well. Larry Playfair. Uh, Igor Liba, which, of course, is the all-time favorite uh, of Colin Hanks. And I do believe that Colin Hanks is probably the only person alive that has a uh, an Igor Liba jersey. Yeah, probably. Um, I would say so. Probably. That's a safe bet. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Keith Crowder wore the jersey. Mike Donnelly wore it briefly. Corey Millen wore it. Uh, Phil Crow wore that number. He wore a few numbers in Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. I think I remember him more as a 77 for some reason. I'll have to look that one up. Uh, I could be wrong about that. But uh, Phil Crow wore that number. And, uh, of course, like we mentioned, Craig Johnson uh, wore that number as well as Dustin Brown. So there's a little bit of numerology for you. I'm sure that uh, if I was wrong about that uh, previous uh, number there with Phil Crow, somebody will tweet us and tell us. Hey, Dennis. Um Last week or last weekend, I guess you would say, I was in Las Vegas for mm-hmm. um, the U2 concert. You're going what, uh, next weekend, I believe, the weekend I'm after going, next weekend. Yeah, next weekend, correct, the 16th, the Saturday night. All right, so um, I'll give you a couple of quick nuggets on this, and, and there's a tie-in here as well, not only to the NHL, but also to crypto. So first, Fantastic. let me give you that. So the draft is, of course, going to be coming. We had mentioned that recently on the podcast, and I think it was in one of the tidbits articles on Mayor's Manor, that the draft is going away in, in the in the format that we know it currently. Right. It's going to be decentralized. And we had EJ Emery, the projected uh, uh, player who's projected to go in the first round. He was on the podcast recently, and we were talking with him about it. And I, I loved his answer, by the way. If, if you haven't listened to it, please, some people do go back and listen to that. But uh, this is going to be the last in-person draft, Dennis. Mm-hmm. The last yeah. time that the whole league's going to get together in person 
Um, so you and I, I'm, I'm sure, will be there. We had a lot of fun in Nashville, uh, among oh, yeah. other stops. Uh, but Vegas should be a good time as well. So it's going to be at the Sphere uh, in at the end of June. I think it's the 28th and 29th. So that's the tie-in back to the NHL. For And the tie-in back to crypto is this, Dennis. I'm going to give you a little bit of exclusive breaking news here. Please. Depeche Mode is going to be playing the crypto here over the next uh, week or so. And if you're wondering, well, what's the tie-in to all of this? They're going to be testing at those Depeche Mode concerts at crypto the use of reusable cups. Apparently, they go through about <laughs> 15,000 cups per okay. event. Makes that's sense. a hell of a lot of cups, Dennis. That's, and that's although they're they although they do recycle, they're very environmentally friendly at the crypto. Sure. Um, they're looking to go to these reusable cups, which I'm pointing this out because those reusable cups or a version of reusable cups are already in place at the sphere. So I know okay. you're more of an umbrella drink type guy, but if yeah. you or anybody in your traveling party happens to order a cerveza when you are at okay. the sphere, it's going to come in a plastic reusable cup it's a really thick i don't know how you would describe it it's 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 a thick tall cup and mm-hmm. you reuse it so you basically you you drink your beer out of it and then you toss it into this recycle uh bin and then you right. get another one okay so they're going to be testing that at the depeche mode concerts at okay. crypto we'll see how it goes I'm giving you a heads up and a warning, uh, really more for the listeners than you, um, yeah. that these are most likely going to be coming to crypto in the near future. So there you go. Uh, back to the show. Does the Dennis. beer back taste to, any yeah. different in the in the cups? Uh, no, but I will no. tell you this since you asked. I do not like beer out of a can. I am a beer out of you a know. bottle person. Okay. No, okay. I don't it. like it. I just, I think it's, um, I don't I know if it's mental. You. When I do drink a beer rarely, I agree with you. Out of a yeah. glass bottle is way better. You're way better. Way yeah. better. I would. And by the way, my beer always has to be ice cold. I like mm-hmm. really cold beer. I don't Got like it. mildly cold beer or, mm-hmm. God forbid, room temperature beer. Oh, no. I like it really cold. Okay. Well, you wouldn't okay. like England then because they serve it no. room temperature. Yeah, but okay. I would like to go to England. Um, I was scheduled once to go to London yeah. and... Uh, like three weeks before I was scheduled to go, the trip had to be canceled. And I had sure. an amazing trip. I was going to do all the, you know, musical history sort of stops. Oh, I was really? really stoked, you know. So, yeah. I, had, like I mean, there's Road a lot of great... stuff like that? Uh, no, I was not doing that. No, more more on the rock side. Uh, okay. You know, more of um, cult and some other things okay. that were happening. But I was really excited to go um, uh, check it out. Uh, where the Sex Pistols played. Oh, beautiful. Uh, oh, fantastic. The Roundhouse, I think it's called, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. Um, so, yeah, a lot a lot of really cool places that I was going to go and check out. out. Mm-hmm. But that trip was canceled. I will have to get back there at some point, Dennis. Uh, but sort of tangentially, I guess, Dublin, kind of. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Back to the sphere. It's amazing, Dennis. Um, really? Okay. Here's, here, this is my cautionary tale to everybody. Focus on the music. You see everything about the the, the light show mm-hmm. and the amazing part of that. That's all cool, but you are there to see you two, one of the greatest performing yep. bands around, with an incredible catalog, and the set list is is perfection. Second only to when they did the Joshua Tree uh, tour a couple years ago. That was amazing because they played the whole album from start to finish, and many of yep. those songs they they hadn't played. Uh, you know, historically, but the set list is amazing, but watch the band, enjoy the band. The screens Mm -hmm. are great. Fine. Take them in for a couple of songs. Dennis, I can tell you 
probably 90% of the time I was looking at the band and not even look. I couldn't even you tell were. you what wow. was on the screen. I didn't look at the screen. I wasn't focused on the Holy screen. Cow. I know that a lot of people are spending a lot of money to go and check out the screen. So go, go, go check it out for a few songs and then mm-hmm. focus on the band. Look, watch Bono. He is smiling and he really seems to be enjoying himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, watch Larry. Uh, he, uh, uh, I mean, sorry, Adam. Larry's not there. Um, yeah. Adam, Adam Clayton is is they're just they look so happy, Dennis. Uh, that's all not I can it. say. You know, they're they're not mailing it in, so uh, it's that's enjoyable. Great. And then this is my other advice to you: it's a long walk, so you enter through the Venetian. I don't know yeah, where you're staying, right. so if you're taking yeah. an Uber We're from somewhere at else, the Caesars. Yeah, yeah, it's a long okay. walk. Okay, yeah. so it's it's from the Venetian uh, casino area. Mm-hmm. It's quite a walk uh, okay. to get to the arena. Okay. I'm uh, just letting you know that in advance. So okay, be prepared. Cool. It's about mm-hmm. a two and a half hour show. Uh, there's a DJ who will play uh, for about 30 minutes and he drives a car through the floor. The the, <laughs> the, the GA floor is not very big, uh, yeah, but right. he drives like a little a little European car uh, th- and he DJs off the top of the car. And he drives through the thing. and But he starts, like, on the left side. And over the 30-minute DJ set, you know, he mm-hmm. slowly moves sure. from the left side to the right side. So when the DJ goes away, you have about 10 minutes. And then when the sirens hit, um, it's not a fire alarm. It's your warning <laughs> that U2 is coming up. It's amazing, Dennis. It's a fantastic yeah, I'm show. really, really I actually almost scalped it. tickets to go back the second night. And, I, yeah, um, you told me that. I was shocked. But yeah. then you went, went to where? Where'd you go? To your dive bar? We went, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so I am going back to see you two, though. Before you know me, I mean, you know how it yeah, goes. You have to uh, go I'm going to go back. I'm going to go yeah. back and see them before the before the run ends. Um, how about to the other side of the country? Uh, tell us a little yep. bit about the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame there in Boston. Other guys were uh, enshrined as well. Brian Burke, uh, just tell us about yeah. the overall experience. Yeah. There. Uh, well, Dustin spoke before Brian Burke, which was great because he probably would have lost all the answers. Brian Burke talked for about thirty minutes. <laughs> he went down the entire litany of his career right? okay. and he's done you know, 20 different jobs. So that was a long yeah. speech. And he was saying that, you know, Paul Stewart was a piece of crap referee. He's he typical Brian Burke. Right. So, but let's now, talk hold about on. The was, that, was that yeah. tongue in cheek or, or was no, that, no, he was, made, he was this, this was, this was receipts time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was receipts time. Yeah. And then he talked about how the referee kicked Bill McCurry kicked the puck uh, on the golden goal by Sid Crosby. To uh, to to uh, who was it? Um, Aginla, and then Aginla passed to Crosby, so he was pissed off about that. I talked to him in the media availability, Brian Burke, and I asked him about fighting. Has actually has an uptick, um, um, in, in, and he said, "Yeah, I, I think it's great." I go, "Does fighting still have a place in in hockey?" He goes, "Yeah." I go, "Why?" He goes, "Why not?" He goes, "I still believe that." Yeah, typical Brian Burke. The, the tie was unmade. The whole thing. He said there's nothing want- better than Berkey when he has the tie yeah, undone the tie, exactly. and he's just going full Burke. He's yeah, going, it's great. yeah. And he said that basically he still believes that players should police the game. So he still thinks there's a fight. He goes, yeah, I noticed there's an uptick in fighting. I think it's a great thing. So that was Brian Burke. The luminaries that were there from Los Angeles. And I was the only media person there, which was unfortunate. But uh, so Mike Altieri, Jeff Moeller, and Jen Pope uh, from the corporate mm-hmm. side. And then from the player side, Matt Green, Kevin Westgarth. And an all-time mayor favorite, Mark Yannetti, who <laughs> yes. said that I deserve to be there, but you didn't deserve to be there. He says, you tell mayor 
only you deserve to be here tonight. Wow. So, and of course, Yank. So and and so we talked about yeah, he he was he was in rare form again. And with respect to the draft, we talked about the draft. And and I asked Jenk, I said, is it is it a big is it better for you to be um back in LA as opposed to being on site? He goes, it depends. He goes, Yeah, you know, if I'm like entrenched in LA at the office there, I can have four screens up and stuff like that, but you can't really talk to anybody else. He said the 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 people who are brokenhearted are the scouts because this is their Super Bowl, basically. Right. And so they like being there. They like being in the spotlight. And all the guys that he talked to, all his guys, were really crestfallen about the fact that they're going to decentralize the uh, um, decentralize the draft. So that was really interesting. And Yank said, I, I could be there and not be there. Uh, he'll be fine, you know, in L.A. with his nine screens or whatever. But it was, it was great to see him and and catch up with him. Um, Dustin Speed. DB, hold on real yeah, quickly just to interject there. Yeah, what please. he didn't tell you is the real reason that he's happy about not having to go to the draft is that it's probably going to save him on having to buy another brown suit. So <laughs> it's going to, you know, he, he likes to travel. He'll, he'll go to Europe for two weeks with like two polo shirts and a pair of jeans, you know, a backpack. And, and in that backpack, not only are his clothes for two weeks, but his laptop as well. So this just it, it, it saves him from having to uh, get gussied up a little bit. Nice chirp back. Nice chirp back. Wow. I'm sure I'll hear this. And I'm I have sure receipts. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Dustin's speech was great. Heartfelt to the point. The first guy he thanked. And I actually text. He t- he texted. Off the top, other than Dave Fisher, who he worked with at USA Hockey, who's been there forever, first guy I mentioned was Andre Kopitar. He goes, "I'd be, I wouldn't be here without Andre." And I asked, and Kopi couldn't make it obviously because he's here in Montreal and he was traveling with the team. I said, "You know, Dustin's speech, and I think you might be able to find it on YouTube." Steve Levy was the uh, MC. He did a really good job. I think so. I said, "You know, Dustin, thank you first. He said he would not be here without you." He goes, "Really? Wow, I should have been there, but you know." it's you know another time another place but it was uh heartfelt he thanked everybody the families was there and you know i tweeted a couple of things that the kids didn't want to be there again like they weren't he says i guess it was amelie benjamin from nhl.com because i asked him about does this finally impress your kids and you know you'll hear it on the audio but she said they weren't impressed by the statue he goes no didn't even want to show up for the statue so no, they're, they're they wanted, but they're happy they being no part of it yeah they're happy being in buffalo they're in i guess east elmhurst which is a nice suburb and when i talked to nicole about it uh, primarily for the kids they play so much travel hockey she said that we've only been on a plane maybe once or twice once to go to chicago and I think they're going up to Blaine, Minnesota for some juniors thing or something like that. But everything else is a drive. So they're very happy here. They miss the people in Los Angeles. They don't miss the traffic. They don't miss anything else but the people. But it was it was really nice to catch up with Dustin. Uh, it was really great to see him. And it was, uh, you know, it's just another accolade. And he's grateful for it all. And he's very humble. And it was just great to see him honored like that against, you know, with guys like Brian Burke, Jamie Langebrun, it was another one. Um, and uh, Murphy, uh, Brian Murphy, who was a longtime referee. And, but it was, I'm glad I made the trip. It was a long trip, but it was great to see him, the family, and, and to get him his uh, just desserts with respect to the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, I had thought about it as we talked about offline, and I, yeah. I, I'm kind of kicking myself now. I wish that I would have. Just like the White House, uh, when, yeah. when the Kings went to the White House, yep. I had thought about going, and, and, and in hindsight, I, I really kicked myself and wished that I would have. But it's funny that Brian Burke uh, mentioned – 2010 in Vancouver because prior yeah. to you going I'm sure you remember that I was talking to you about some of my memories of Brownie yep. and one of those memories that really stands out 
was in 2010 at the Olympics in Vancouver. I, I was first of all, it was just a great two weeks of my life to be up there. It sure. was fantastic. I, I I had more fun there than any international tournament that I probably have been to. But uh, the U.S. beat Canada in the round robin Pre-lines. that year. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just remember that whole, I mean, that arena was packed. When you go to a world junior game or when you go to a world cup game or when you go to an Olympic game in Canada, everybody's wearing a Canada Jersey. Dennis, I mean, everybody, I don't know if they give them out for free or why they all have them, but every single person wears a, a Canada Jersey. So that arena was packed uh, there in Vancouver with everybody wearing their Canada jerseys. And, uh, Brownie was the uh, alternate captain on that, that year. Uh, I believe he was wearing 32 mm-hmm. and the U S won that preliminary yep. game. And that arena was stunned silent. I remember how quiet it was walking out of that arena. It was just brutal. Like they were, they could not believe yeah. that the U S beat the U S won and the U S should have won that game uh in for the gold medal but uh that's, yeah. that's i guess brian burke can take that argument up instead of me <laughs> yeah I, well i will say this i won't spoil it but dustin still thinks about that game well i talked you'll hear it on the audio he Golden still goal? thinks about the gold about the gold medal game he does yeah so. okay well i'm looking forward to the audio audio here then thank you for um thank you for not spoiling that and letting me be surprised i'm looking forward to hearing that uh sure. dennis uh let's get to dustin brown real quickly but before we do uh get to him i want to give you one last little bit of information uh speaking of guests coming on the program there i don't know if you've caught this on instagram yet today or if you have uh seen it on the la kings uh social medias or whatnot but there is a woman samantha woge i believe is her name and she painted a a portrait of Andre kopitar and you go okay cool people paint paintings no no, no. this lady has two fingers on each hand wow. and she says that's her superpower and she uses a Amazing. hockey stick as her paintbrush to paint this portrait and if you haven't seen it you have to go check it out i've already been in touch with her i have her scheduled to come on in a future episode of kings of the podcast we can talk Fantastic. to her amazing dennis she does a, a a print of like an nfl player a football player mm-hmm. with a football as the paintbrush i mean it, it's just it's ridiculous and i have to find out what the inspiration sure. was how she does this obviously having two fingers on each hand is kind of limited of her abilities but cow. she doesn't view it that way she's like oh really i'll just go out and figure out a way to do this and wonderful paintings um so yes go check it out i, I think kopitar and the king's both put it on their social medias uh today so mm-hmm. we'll get her on the program sounds great yeah it's that you know when you think you're having a bad day john think of that one she's happy yeah, for she's, sure she has two fingers and on each hand and so our, our our challenges really don't amount to much when you think about a person like that they pale in comparison dennis what we had to wait Amen. five extra minutes for our coffee at dutch brothers i think we're gonna live and be just fine <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. Uh, Dennis, you're on the airplane and the people won't uh, move their bags. Just, just yeah, hang yeah. on. They'll, they'll get their yeah. bags and they'll, they'll balance the uh, weight. Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. Dustin Brown from the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame on the other side. And then Dennis will come back in the third period. We could talk about the Kings' epic comeback in Columbus and what's at stake in Montreal. We'll do all of that after we hear from Dustin Brown.
I mean, it's a huge honor. It's one that you never really expect. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like I said, you just don't expect it. But uh, I'm really proud of it. Also glad I get to go in with uh, Jamie, who I played with in the Olympics. Berkey was on the selection committee for that team. And then Murph, I played against in the NHL, or played, you know, he was roughing a lot of my games in the NHL. So I went in with four for the people that I knew. I just met Katie for the first time, but it's just one of those things I'm proud of. I know it's been a time for reflection. What sort of pops in your mind uh, the most when you look back on your life in hockey? Um, just how much fun I had, really. That's what I think about when I'm now I'm not playing anymore, just how much fun I had playing. Whether it was youth hockey and playing with some of my best friends or playing at the Olympics and the biggest stages in the world. Kids playing hockey at every level, that's how I felt about it. Is there anything specific you miss about playing the game? You know, aside from fun, but... I miss being around the guys. I mean, that's, I think, the one thing, the camaraderie, the common goal, working towards something together. Uh, you miss that a little bit, but then again, I watch how much they travel and all the training they do, and I have done it myself, so I, I know how hard it is to get ready for an NHL season, so I don't miss the, the amount of work that it takes to play in the NHL. Dustin, you're such a low-key guy, but Jersey retired, statue, now this. How comfortable are you with all the accolades since, since you've retired? In about six hours, I'll be real comfortable with it all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know me well enough. Um, I am proud of all of the accomplishments I've had. I also do not like talking about them or being in a situation like this. Um, it's just not who, who I am, really. Um, but I, in saying that, I am I am very proud of what I've accomplished, and uh, especially with just all the people that have helped me along the way, have gotten to share in some big moments uh, over the last few years. One of the first playing was it outside in Ithaca? Was it? Um, I remember I started by pushing a chair on yep. the ice on an outdoor rink named Cass Park in my hometown. It was a covered outdoor right by the lake, so it was pretty cold. Um, but I just remember that rink vividly. That would have been how old? Like, I was probably four or five when I started, okay. and then progressed from there. Uh, Through youth hockey? Yeah, probably. yeah, we, yep. And then uh, played, won a state championship at some level. Won a high school championship, and high school hockey was fun, because yeah. there's something special about playing with, just playing with my kids, my friends from home, from right. my hometown. And right. we, I mean, Ithaca's not a very big town, so there's only, I mean, for my age group, there was probably only 35 kids that played, 40 kids who played hockey, so maybe two teams, maybe a travel team and a snowball team or some sort like that. But and a big deal to make the hometown team, right? Yeah, it was, it's just fun, special playing in front of, like high school hockey, playing in front of all your classmates. It's like a special thing for high school athletes. Did you do it throughout? I did two years of high school, and then I moved on to the Ontario Hockey League. Okay. So, yeah, two years of high school. I played as an eighth grader and a ninth grader, and then moved on. I remember when I played... Um, my high school team, there was probably five or six, seven D3 players from just from that high school team. Oh, well, yeah. A couple D1 players that went on to work their way into a D1 program. Yeah. But now it's more of a, I don't want to say intramural, but a lower level of hockey for, for, for the high school kids. You think you would have made it if invited, if, if, you, if your orientation had been the high school of today? Um, I probably wouldn't. I mean, it's kind of one of those things where I think the game of hockey has changed. Uh, like even at the youth level, you have um, programs that draw from hundreds of miles away to put a good team together. So 
Uh, I didn't participate in that uh, growing up. I played in my hometown until I was 14 and then played one year away at Syracuse, which is a quick little hour, hour drive. Um, the high school hockey, it was it was some of the most fun I had playing hockey because it's something special about playing in front of your classmates and with your friends. The best was playing at Cornell University, line of rink. Because oh, yeah, like deal. being on a rink, I mean, as a kid growing up in Ithaca, I watched Cornell play all the time. Yeah. And the atmosphere in that building is awesome. So when as a high school player you got to play a big game, um, a big game on line or rink, yeah. it felt like you were playing not high school hockey. Right. <laughs> you mentioned the Olympics a couple of times. What are you looking for in terms of the current crop of American players to be able to get that experience potentially? Um, as a person who a player who's played in two of them, it's something I'm so glad I got to do. And it's also very difficult when you do it in the middle of a season. Because you go from, just the mentality, you go from, for me, you go to try to murder Drew Doughty to literally trying to, two days later we're playing the game on the same team. And that dynamic was, it's, it's tough when you're playing against teammates that, um, but the Olympic experience, I think it's something that the NHL players should experience. I also think it's better for the game to have the very best playing at the very highest levels uh, and seeing that. Because uh, every three, four years it happens. and well, I mean, the World Cup happens every year, but that's a different. You're not getting the best Canadian players or the American players because they're still, still playing. Um, so the Olympics, they kind of shut the lead down and let all the best players play. I think it's good for the game. When you look at the current crop of American players, what do you, what do you see in terms of how they would stack up and, and where the state of the game is and uh, I think it's hard to describe how skilled the kids are coming up nowadays. Like I have three that play hockey. Four, one, sorry, I have three kids that play competitive hockey, and I have one beer leaguer. Uh, <laughs> one got it right. Yeah, he's, he really is. You know, doesn't go to practice, just shows up for games. Um, but the skill level of kids coming up and the way they're developing them here in America now is pretty impressive. There's things that are seeing kids do that I'm like, good thing, good thing I'm tired. <laughs> so it's, uh, I think they're heading in the right direction. And I think uh, the last 20 years or so, we've been putting teams together, winning World Juniors. Um, players are becoming superstars, which is a good thing. You know, you mentioned your kids, and they've been the biggest critics of your game, as you know, when you played. Are they finally impressed with this induction and anything? Funny you should ask because we just recently moved to Buffalo and my beer leaguer, who was very critical of me, apparently got told by a bunch of other students that, like, I'm really good, I guess. And he, it was like a revelation that I was actually decent at hockey. So he came home and was like, Dad, you were actually pretty good at hockey. I'm like, oh, thank you. But, um,. I guess they were watching like a YouTube thing at school. One of the kids brought it up. Sure. Uh, so that was kind of funny. After when I was playing, they all just told me I sucked. The statue didn't do it. Oh no! They didn't want to come. They're like, "Do we have to go to this?" They, they kind of said the same thing about this. Do we have to go? Huh? <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't really phase them. To me, I'm just dead. When you're th when you're that kid's four years old, six years, eight, eight ten, you're in programs that are in many cases sponsored by USA Hockey. I don't think any kid has a full appreciation for that, but maybe when you're on the other side of it now, do you kind of grasp that more that um, without the sort of the seating? And the 
Yeah, I think it's a big part. I mean, unfortunately, hockey is a very expensive sport. And I know I had, my parents had help getting me on the ice just because it's so expensive. And I think there's been a lot of good programs um, being developed over So it's getting more accessible to more players. And then, like I said, I touched on it earlier, the, the development. Just, just the stuff they're doing. We didn't get taught. Uh, it's it's kind of hard to describe because I remember just sitting on the blue line doing crossovers like this, stationary crossovers. Right. and now kids they're just learning so much about the game how to play it correctly they plug into the science or yeah whatever, right? and then all the technology mm-hmm. in the game some people hate it some people like it i think it can be a tool to be used to make better hockey players okay how much do you miss los angeles i miss the people i miss okay. the environment of the kings with mm-hmm. going in seeing the boys right. i miss the weather i don't miss the traffic i don't miss um there's just a lot of people. It's a lot of people in California. Okay, so there's they've played 21 games. How many games have you actually watched beginning to end? Maybe three. Because? The game's end at freaking midnight. So I watched a 10-minute recap on YouTube the next okay. day. Okay. I've been trying yeah. to get the Kings to do 7 o'clock starts for 20 years. Now I really need them to do 7 o'clock starts. Quentin Byfield, emergence. What do you think about his play so far this year? Awesome. I'm proud of him. He was one of those guys I worked with a lot the last my last two years. Yeah. And he came in with all this pressure on him being a second overall pick. And I just kept on saying, dude, just keep working, keep figuring it out. Like these people who have expectations because you're drafted second overall that you're gonna come in and change the league. I mean, there's a kid doing that right now, I know. Right. That's not everyone. Most people need a few years and look at Q, this is his Third year. Third year, yeah. Third year. Third year. Now he's just think about what he's going to be like in another three years with all that experience. So he's a big body, great skill, and a better person. So I'm, he was one of my guys. You, um, you don't watch the games, but are you? how much are you in contact with Kobe or Drew or any of the guys? Um, you text them? Yeah, I'm talk? texting Kobe, Drew. Um, I texted Q the other night because he missed the internet <laughs> for the hat trick. Um, Mikey. I texted Probably there's probably 10, 11 guys I text and at various times throughout the year, and quite often I, you know, Moore's used like gold the other night. Yeah, that was a massive. Not bad. You're 39, but do you think you're physically you could have played a little bit longer? Uh, yeah, no question. Yeah, it I, was just time. It was just mentally I was ready to move mm-hmm. on and do different things. Um, yeah, it just was time for me. I, I didn't enjoy. I enjoyed playing, but I didn't really enjoy the grind of getting ready to play mm-hmm. anymore. So right now, your first job is what? Professional Uber driver? Is that your? Yeah, I'm pretty much. Uh, yeah, I just drive my kids to school, pick them up from hockey, take them here, take them there. Um, but it's been fun. It's been fun. Do you? Did you recognize, I don't know if you're still on social media, the dancing that they do after games now? I know of this because my, all my kids play Fortnite. There are the Fortnite dances. Okay. And if you're into the kid culture right now, like, that's what they do. And I, I don't know who the player is that was dancing. I know who started. It was Gavrikov, is the DJ and the dancer. So would you have feel any peer pressure to dance after games? Would you no. have? I would not. You would not have. No. You would decline that. Okay. Uh, why haven't you come on the podcast? I don't 
do podcasts, man. I've told you this how many, how many times. <laughs> okay, that's for the mayor. That's not for me. Um, USA Hockey Hall of Fame. Your one greatest memory of playing in a USA jersey. It's a hard memory, but at the end of the day, it's an opportunity. It was a gold medal game against Canada in Canada. Mm -hmm. I think about that game a lot. And, but it's still a great, great It was more the experience than it was a terrible memory. But the experience itself was unbelievable. I mean, it's like the pinnacle of hockey. What's a better memory? Hitting Sedin in the playoffs or raising the cup the first time? Raising the cup. I mean, it's there's not nothing close, better. Right? There's nothing close. As great as I was, and as much as I love hitting and delivering a hit like that, there's that's all in. That's all in. That's all for doing. Right to get to. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Here we go, Kings of the Podcast, third period. Thank you, Dennis, for capturing that audio from Dustin Brown. Uh, if that is the only time that Dustin Brown comes on Kings of the Podcast, thank you to Brownie for uh, joining us somewhat, sort of. Yeah, I think bet 365, it's uh, minus 1,200 that he won't come on. I think that's the, <laughs> the current odds. So. so I would not bet uh, on that. Well, there are much better odds that Adrian Kempe scores a goal against the Montreal Canadiens. Yes. We can, we can <laughs> get to segue, that. John. Great segue, John. Uh, we can get to that in just a moment. But first, let's recap that epic comeback in Columbus. And it's funny, Dennis, because uh, we were in two different locations. We weren't even talking at the time. But you and I uh, had very similar tweets after about 40 minutes, yeah. uh, which is... Oh, yeah. Hey, we're not impressed with that 40 minutes of hockey. The last 20 were like the first 40. Yeah. The streak's going bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. Things were not looking good after 40 minutes. And uh, whatever was said in the room, uh, which according to, I believe it was Kopitar who said that uh, they were talking to Copley and just said, you know, hey, lock things down. We're about to go out and win this game type thing. Yeah. And uh, they went out and did it. Uh, they went out and scored those goals and pushed it to overtime. Dennis, no Kings team in over 15 years had come back from being down mm -hmm. by three goals in the third period. It's just not very common. You can talk all you want yep. about a three a three goal lead being the worst lead in hockey or whatever. But if a Kings team was down by three goals or more entering the third period, pretty Done. much the game was over. Yeah. I'm sure you saw the note from PR. The last game that the Kings came back from a three-goal deficit in the third period was that epic game against the Dallas Stars at home at Staples yeah. Center back in like 2006 or seven. Mm -hmm. So it had been a while. And uh, Dennis, only three teams in the last 30 years have done so on the road. So it's one thing to come back at home. Yeah. But only three teams have done it on the road, and the Kings were one of those three teams. So it's a pretty remarkable feat that they were able to, to uh, pull off there in Columbus. Teams, John, I keep saying it. If they're healthy, they're a really, really good team. And and the thing about this team, John, 
Like, go back to the Colorado game. Like, who won? The, which line won the game for them? The Kopitar line. Byfield scored two goals. Which team? Which line brought them back in Columbus? Dano. Like, so you can shut down one line. The other line's going to kill you, and that's what makes a great team is that you roll four lines, and it's just this team doesn't quit. And John, the one point, and it was a great comeback, but you know this team is special. When you see Drew Doughty celebrate the way he did on a Tuesday night in Ohio in December, like he celebrated like it was the third cup for him. Like that was my my biggest impression. It was a great comeback. They were tenacious. Yeah. They're playing a team that isn't great. That blows leads in the third period, but his celebration, like, wow. I'm like, wow, this is really, really meaningful for him. And that was my biggest impression of that comeback. Because again, in the space of things, December, yeah, it keeps the streak going. Maybe they, extended tonight in, in, in Montreal. But to me, that was my that was my one takeaway is that the way he the joy he had in scoring that goal in a game that was what, the twenty first game of the season, that was that was really that struck home for me. Now, DB, since you're on the road uh, with the Kings for these next two games, if you get a chance, ask Drew about this because there was something small that I noticed. In that celebration he skated by Deneau and went right to Jordan Spence. And it didn't look like that just happened to be the guy that he landed mm. at, you know, as he was skating by. Yeah. It looked very intentional. And that hug, there was there were some words exchanged. So to me, it's almost as if something must have been said on the bench or in the room um, because Drew did seem to be looking for Jordan Spence. And that th- that's not a normal, you know, situation because those two aren't paired together. They Playing don't play together, together or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. So there's not that, you know, it's not that connection uh, right. per se. But but it seemed like he was looking for Jordan Spence in that scrum. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it just happened to be the guy at the end of the huddle. But uh, sure. if you get a chance, ask Drew about that. Will do. Uh, there, are, there are two other things. Uh, you mentioned Kopitar, but it's Trevor Moore as well. Andre Kopitar and Trevor Moore have both recorded points in 10 straight road games, Dennis. The last Kings player to do that was Rob Blake, who now, of course, is the general manager. Uh, who knows if Kopitar or Moore will ever become the general manager <laughs> at some point after their careers are over. That's a long ways away, Dennis. We don't have to worry about sure that right is, now. Uh, but Kopitar and Trevor Moore. Uh, so not only do the t- does the team have a point streak on the line tonight, or a winning streak, excuse me, uh, Kopitar and Trevor Moore have point streaks on the line 10 straight uh pld quietly dubois is heating up eight points in his last five games versus montreal so be on the lookout for that and if you're talking about hot against a team dennis adrian kempe seven goals in 10 career games against the habs four of them have been game-winning goals here's one for you he's never scored a power play goal against montreal No, all of them. Have, have he's had a hat trick, though, right? I believe he's had he a hat did. trick. He had a hat yeah. trick in the very first game that he played against mm-hmm. the Habs. That is true. Um, and when Kempe scores against the Habs, the Kings are undefeated, Dennis. So yeah. be looking for that tonight. Um, sure. How about this one? I'll give you some more stats. In 10 road games so far this season, the Kings have scored 46 goals. That's a lot. Only three other teams in the league have scored as many as four goals in their first 10 road games this season. I'm sorry, over the last 30 years, um, only three teams have done that. Yeah, you know, it's funny, John. Uh, yeah. It's funny. Todd says, oh, this team is not going to score four goals every night. They actually might score four goals every <laughs> night, John. <laughs> Let me give you another is one. Is that going to so, grind out some games 2-1? Like, I don't no, know. Like, maybe every 10 Exactly. <laughs> uh, how about this one, Dennis? Cam Talbot, taking a look at his uh, stretch of 10 games here. Over the last 10 games... Nine of those games, 
Talbot has given up two or fewer goals. And here's the thing, Dennis. Four of those goals came against the Flyers. If you throw right. that stinker out, yep. you're talking about 11 goals that he's given up in a 10-game, excuse me, nine. Yeah. 11 goals in a nine-game stretch. Um, that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, he's among the leaders in all the statistical categories for goaltenders. Like, so people can say, oh, I don't believe in the goaltending. All right, you don't. You may not believe in it, but right now you have to believe in it because it's it's producing. And again, look, Copley, he won the game. Like, and that's what he did last season. Like his numbers weren't strong. I think it was like 904, something like that, say percentage. But he won games for this team and won bad. The third goal was bad. And again, they had two goals called back, which I, I didn't get the first one, John. I'm like, I'm watching the game in Columbus. And I said, like, that shot by Goudreau it didn't go in. And the referee's pointing. I'm like, okay, that's that's not a goal. So, look, Copley's your, your number two. He's going to play 25 games. Like, is he going to win the majority of them? If he get, And you look at the run support, I think they're scoring more than four goals a game when he plays. If he's got that run support, he's gonna, he has to make one more save than the, uh, than the, uh, the, uh, the opposing goaltender. He's not going to win the Vesna. That's fine. But he's got to give, you know, look, he, I assume he's going to play against the island against the Islanders and you know, he'll, he'll, he'll he'll rotate in every, every third game or so. And that's the way they're going to roll right now. Yeah. Uh, History. History is sort of on their side uh, with, with a number of different things, but Dennis, you still have to play the games. So look, I don't think there's been a uh, Kings Habs game that has had this much intrigue probably since 1993. Uh, (laughs) the, The Kings, the Kings earlier this year, Dennis, also don't forget, they did something that, I mean, you talk about history, that they've never done in 50-plus years. They were able to shut out the Canadians on home ice when yeah. the Canadians were in Los Angeles. That's never happened in 50-plus years that they've shut out the Canadians on home ice. So they already have a little bit of history against Montreal earlier this season. Can they do it again? Here's my question heading into tonight. My biggest question has to be not only Blake Lazat but the lineup of the third and fourth lines. Right. So here's here's what I mean by mm-hmm. that, Dennis. Got it. Yep. The assumption is that Blake Lazat is going to go back into the lineup. He's been uh, skating with the team for a while. He had the red jersey on. Uh, the red jersey has come off, the no-contact jersey, and I believe he had at least one practice and probably a morning skate with the team. We all know where Blake Lazat is going to line back in, line up, uh, or slide back in when he goes into the lineup, which is at 4C. Fine. Right. Here's my question. If you leave the lines as they are right now, most likely that would require Trevor Lewis to go over to the right side, which is his normal spot, because Lewis right. has been playing center. Correct. And Kaliev, who's been on the right side, mm-hmm, would slide mm-hmm. over to the left. And he and he has played just fine on his offside yeah. mm-hmm. four. Um, so it's not a problem. But uh Kaliev on the left, instead of playing on the right potentially, but he hasn't done that much in Los Angeles. Or do you move Kaliev and Grunstrom back to the way it was? So you put Kaliev back on the Dubois line, mm. leaving him on the right side. And then you put Grunstrom on the left and you basically you're reuniting Grunstrom with Lazat and Lewis. So that's my question. Do you just put Lazat back in and sort of shuffle that fourth line? Or do you also flip those wingers back? What I would do, Grunstrom was so productive with Lewis and Lazat, I'd, I'd go back, and I'd put you and I. Ari you and I've been together too long, Dennis. We yeah, think the and I put right Ari back on the right <laughs> side on that third line. Yeah, and and yeah. give and give Dubois another score to play with. 
another shooter. So yeah, that that that's what I would do. I think that's what Todd would do. But we'll see. It is an intriguing question because you have there's been a gap of games where they haven't played together. So does that chemistry reunite, reignite from game one? I don't know, but that that's the route I would go. Here's the other I would as well, but here's the other interesting rub on this, just to to sure. push this narrative a little bit further. Mm-hmm. Grunstrom was rewarded. We're going to call it that. Grunstrom was right. rewarded and moved up to the third line. Now, the suggestion that I made to McClellan a week or so before that move was made was to put Laffey on the fourth line mm-hmm. and put Grunstrom, sure. leaving him on the left side, but putting Grunstrom up on the Dubois line with Kaliev. Mm-hmm. I still would like to see Grunstrom with Dubois and Kaliev. I think that would be an interesting third line. It would, yeah. But when they rewarded Grunstrom, it was surprisingly, it wasn't Laffey that went to the fourth line. It was Kaliev right. that went That's to the fourth true. line. Yep. And here's what I would say about that. I don't think that Grunstrom has played as well up on the third line that he was as he was playing Agreed. on the fourth line. So you go, oh, Absolutely. well, fine. Then. Put him put him on the fourth line, put him back with the Zot. But here's yep. the problem. Agreed. Artie <laughs> has been on fire down on, on the, the fourth, fourth line. line. <laughs> so do you it's like what's great the lesser problems of all to have, John. Yeah, great problems, right? What do you do? Remember ten years ago the team, the team couldn't score two goals? Yeah, okay. Now, yeah. <laughs> great problems to have. That, that's so, that's so, intriguing, right? So who do you who do you put out of place, or who do you sacrifice here? Is it Grunstrom or is it Artie? Which is interesting, but you know the, the the flip to that is like you should be able to produce on anyone with this team. You're going to get your time. Uh, it's really interesting to see uh, how they'll play that. But you're right; some guys were more productive with the other two players. Do you go back to that, or do you split them up? It's going to be really interesting to see. And my last point in all of this is Dubois, because. He still hasn't really found his rhythm, right? And and I know you had asked Todd the question when uh, post game a, a while back, and he yeah. sort of broke Dubois' season down into two ten game chunks, and he said, "Hey, you know, the second ten games, the more recent ten games, games eleven through twenty, if you will, they he's been better than he was in the first ten games." Okay, well, if you like Dubois better recently, well, that's been with Grunstrom and Laffey. Right. That would give you argument or reason to suggest just leave it the way it is. Sure. But I would go so far as to say even though he's been a little bit better, there's still more there to give. Totally. And back and back to what you and I talked about, I believe, on the last podcast, and you just hinted at it a moment ago, I think you really need to give a true goal scorer to Dubois, which is why I think you would give him back Kaliev. In the absence of Arvidsson, mm-hmm. Kaliev mm-hmm. is your best option, right? I mean, unless you're giving him Trevor Moore, and you're not, you're not moving Trevor Moore to the third line anytime soon, I don't think, Dennis. No, no, absolutely not. And it's interesting because I put out that clip that we talked about, and I said, you know, he look who he played with in Winnipeg, Dubois, and look who he's playing with now. And some guy chirped saying, oh, you know, you're always giving excuses for this guy. I'm like, excuses? He played 21 games in an L.A. uniform. Like, if this was game 100, then fine. Like, it's game 21, so he's still trying to find his way, and he's still being – look, here's the thing. Here's the number I'll give you, 14, 4, and 3. <laughs> that's it like you want you want to because you know what the, the people that are chirping or complaining about the team are like oh copy's not that great like you're really nitpicking at this point like this team is second in points percentage in the league there's not much to fix at this point in time would you like a a, a better statistical number for your backup yeah would you like Dubois to have more goals and more points and be more effective of course you would but it's a twenty. It's a twenty-two man roster, and this team is fourteen, four, and three. I, I've got no problem with anything that's going on right now. And I, I actually, one of the kids came by uh, last week when it was at, at uh, Crypto, 
And he asked me, like, can you talk about like what this team might need at the trade deadline? I'm like, well, there's nothing at game 21, maybe a game 42 there is, but I don't know what you would add at this point in time, assuming, assuming that Victor Arfton come back healthy and playing. If not, then maybe you look for another right shot on the wing, but there's not much to fix, John. So if people want to complain about, well, they never should have been down three, nothing like who cares? Like It's a 60 minute <laughs> game. Like if it's a 40 minute game, yeah, they would have lost. So it's just, I, I think that fans are still some fans who like to be miserable and like to be negative, like they're having trouble adjusting to a team that is very good. Like without question, John, they, like this team is not may not play 780 hockey the rest of the season. Right. But this team is legit. Like without question. You And it's not just us. It's you go around the league and talk to people. This is a, a deep legitimate team that's solid, that has solid four. And that now the second, the third pair is doing well. Cam Talbot's bounced back. This, John, you want to nitpick about this team? Be my guest. If they wind up losing two out of the next three, whatever, you can say that. But when you look at this team, the way they've been built, this is a legitimate contender right now. Well, here's the thing. There's a little bit of, of luck or good fortune involved as well because there was a lot of hand-wringing going on uh, coming into the season about, oof, this team is so tight up against the cap. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this better work because they don't have right. a lot of options. So to your question a moment ago, what are they going to go out and get at the trade deadline? I would almost take one step back. What would they be able what to afford they? at the trade right. at, the, at the trade <laughs> what deadline? Can they do? Really? They can't do much. And here's the good fortune. They probably don't need to do much, which is, which is nice. Agreed. And so, yes, the addition will come internally in the sense of Victor Arvidsson hopefully will be returning, and that's their addition at the Agreed. trade deadline. Statistics-wise, though, Dennis, let, let's let's end on a high note here and go over a sure. couple of things here. Points percentage. You mentioned that points percentage. The Kings right now are sitting at 750 points percentage. That's third in the league. The Rangers and the Bruins are at 771. This is a top three mm-hmm. team, and there is a steep drop-off to the fourth team points percentage, which is Vegas. And there's another drop off or another tier to get to the next level of teams, which would be Colorado and Dallas who are at 680 and 674. Now the, one of the numbers that I've loved to talk about for a long time, goal differential, the LA Mm -hmm. Kings are number one in goal differential, Dennis with a plus 32. And they have played, fewer games than Vancouver and they have played fewer games than Boston who sit behind them. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But as of right now, just from a goal differential perspective, they are plus 32. And of course we all know their, their winning streak on the road uh, of winning 10 straight heading into tonight's game. All the numbers point to this is a good team. This is Mm -hmm. an elite team. We talked earlier about Cam Talbot's numbers as well. This team finds a way to win not just because of what they did in Columbus the other night, but throughout the season, overall, nobody wants to play this team right now in a seven-game series. You would be foolish to want to play this team in a seven-game series. And they've adapted to the 1-3-1, John. They don't give up a lot. They really don't give up much at all defensively, which is, I think, John, I think that's the biggest surprise. That's a bigger surprise to me than the offense. When everybody's clicking, and and look, I'll say one thing. The goal Trevor Moore scored against Colorado, Wow, what a move. like just that's a man's goal. Like, you know, like that that he just manned up and and short side. It's just that to me, but the defense was because we didn't know what the third pair was going to be like. 
Like you don't know what the goaltending's like. So the the fact that they don't really give up much, they, I think they're they lead the lead in the least amount of high, high danger chances. To me, that's the more stunning statistic because you would think, okay, if everybody's clicking and there's chemistry and Byfield emerges, you're going to get offense. So uh, to me, that the defensive effort has been just more stunning than the actual record or their offense. All right, so Dennis, call your shot. Will the Kings make history and get a victory? In Montreal tonight, yeah, I remember I say the last three-one Kings win. Yeah, they suffocated Montreal the first time. So if they replicate their effort that they did in LA, they're going to win this game going away. Uh, it's a tricky game for them because the Habs got some scorers, uh, but Montebo, I think he's playing tonight. He he's been a good goaltender, but I, they, pound for pound, they're the better team. Yeah, he is playing tonight for the Habs, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, I'll go 3-1 Kings final. You get to the weekend, the back-to-back games. They'll play the Islanders, as you mentioned. Expect Phoenix Copley in net. And then, oh, boy, Dennis, <laughs> they'll yeah. play the Rangers. And the storylines write themselves. We'll leave all of that for the weekend. Uh, have fun in, in Montreal. Uh, safe travels. Make sure that you uh, balance out the plane to get back to New York. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week, okay? Sounds great, Jay. All right, thanks everybody. Have a great week.